Well, good morning. How are you all? Good morning. What a lot of change is happening in Rolleston, man. There's houses popping up everywhere. It's amazing, and, and new facilities, and it seems like this is the place that everybody wants to move to. Um, has a very similar feeling to parts of our city, actually. Like if you go uh, out uh, sort of to the southeast, Papamoa, it's got a real similar feel. Uh, to the west, an area called the Lakes, same thing. Houses just popping up all over the place. So, you know, uh, there, are, there are places that people like to be. And how good is it that you're positioned right here, crying out to God, saying, God, would you come and would you move? And uh, wouldn't it be awesome if he responded by... Uh, setting up like a grace, love, deliverance ambush for the people as they arrived. You know, like they move into the area and you guys, there's just this presence of God here and they walk into it and it has a really great effect on their lives. You know, a hundred years ago this week was the conclusion of a significant series of revival meetings in the Wellington Town Hall. A hundred years ago this week was the fi- would have been the final meeting of uh, Smith Wigglesworth being in the Wellington Town Hall. It began at, in the second half of May in 1922. The first gathering, 800 people showed up. The second gathering, 1,500. The third gathering, and every night for the remaining three weeks, every one of the 3,000 seats was packed, and there were another 1,000-plus people outside uh, on the steps of the town hall uh, in Wellington in June. Let the reader understand, you know, like Wellington in June. I lived in Wellington, love Wellington. Standing on the steps outside uh, in June for hours in the dark in the evening. Those meetings were marked by people that couldn't hear, being able to hear. People that were in wheelchairs were out of their wheelchairs. Signs, wonders and miracles took place to the point where the Dominion newspaper, the forerunner to the Dominion Post, had the headline about, on the front page, of revival in the town hall. At the end of that revival gathering, a young man asked Smith Wigglesworth a question. I don't know what the question was, and I don't know who the young man was, but here is Smith Wigglesworth's response. Young man, I feel like envying you. I have had three visions, three only. The first two have come to pass, but the third is yet to be fulfilled. Oh, it is amazing. I cannot tell God's secrets, but you will remember what I say. This revival, May of 1922, in the Wellington Town Hall, this revival we have had is nothing compared to what God will yet do. Hundred years ago. Hundred years ago this week, Smith Wigglesworth said that. And you know what? When God says something, and I believe that that was the Lord speaking through Smith Wigglesworth. If you don't know Smith Wigglesworth, look him up. He was a shy, illiterate plumber that God got a hold of, and he traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. Thousands, millions even, I don't know, of people got saved as a result of his preaching ministry, and he was, his ministry was marked by signs and wonders and miracles attesting to the truth of what he was saying. When God says something, and I believe that is a reliable word, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, every word sent from heaven will not Failed to achieve the purpose for which it was sent. I believe that that word is still active. And I personally, it's totally subjective, I believe that we are more on the brink of a move of God, an awakening sweeping through our land now than at any time in my lifetime. 
And I believe it's a very good time for the people of God to be saying, I want to be wide awake. I want to be worshipping. I want to be prayerful. And I want to be engaged in doing the good works that Jesus planned in advance for me to do. Do you know, you were, you were created to do good works. You were created to produce fruit for the kingdom. You were created to know God and to make him known. There's no such thing as a spectator in the kingdom of God. And so we want to we say, Lord Jesus, have your way in this church, have your way in this gathering, and Lord, have your way in this community and throughout this land. The other thing that I want to say, I've got a really good message planned for you, but the other thing I want to say to you is this, keep your eye on what God will do among the children. He's up to something with the children. I told them last night, I was out in my backyard digging a hole. I hate digging. Digging dirt is heavy and I don't like digging. And I was digging a hole and while I was digging a hole, we've recently moved into a new house and I was digging a hole uh, in the yard of my new house and the neighbor who I'd not met hung over the fence and said, hello. And I said, hi. She said, my name's, you know, she gave me a name and I, she, I said, oh, I'm, I'm Chris. And she said, um, you're a minister, aren't you? And I was like, yes, you know, that's, you know, like when, when someone knows something about you and you don't know how they know, that's always awkward, isn't it? She says, you're a minister, aren't you? I said, well, uh, <coughs> yes, 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 I am. She said to me, do you lead a cult? And I said, no, I don't. And then I joked with her. I said, well, if I did, I probably wouldn't tell you. You know, that's kind of how those things work. You know what I mean? And then she said this to me. She said, we're not believers, but our 11-year-old daughter is absolutely fascinated with reading the Bible. And she asks us questions about God. Can you help us? I was like, well, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> Watch what God will do among the children. The enemy thinks he owns the children. He thinks he's got them tied up in a sense of pointlessness. You know, like our children for, for the last three or four generations, we've told them, you're not created, you're just a chance evolutionary accident. It robs them of any sense of identity or purpose or design. And now they're being fed this this. The, the political side of the climate narrative, which all it is di- designed to do is to leverage fear and terror. And so the enemy thinks he owns them, but when the enemy comes in, Isaiah 59, 19, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Watch what God will do among the children. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of 1 Kings 17, when Elijah was staying at the house of the widow. You remember that? Turns up and the widow's about to starve to death. And uh, her and her son, and she's making her last meal with her last little bit of flour and her last little bit of oil. And Elijah turns up and basically says, hello, feed me first. That's not very politically correct, is it? But she did, and that resulted in an ongoing miracle where the flour wouldn't run out, the oil wouldn't run out, and they ate for an undisclosed period of time miraculously. But then a little bit later, her boy died. And the Bible says Elijah went up to the room where the boy was laid and he laid himself down and he prayed over the boy seven times and the boy came back to life and Elijah came down and gave the boy back to his mother. He gives the boy back out of the grip of death back to his mum and his mum makes this comment in 1 Kings 17, 24. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Do you know what? When God starts to move among the children 
and the mums and dads and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunties start getting their children delivered back to them out of fear and death and pointlessness and terror, that they're going to go, well, we saw your signs and we saw your Facebook posts, but now we get it. Now we know the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. That's exactly how it worked in my family. I grew up in an atheist family. I became a believer. My parents were appalled at that, led my sister to the Lord. They were appalled at that. She got diagnosed with terminal cancer and then got miraculously healed right in front of them, uh, being prayed for in the name of Jesus. And that's when my parents became believers. My mum, still to this day, she comes, I, I tell this story often and I tell it, I inflict it on our church often and she'll be sitting in the front row and you'll see her, her, her grey head nodding, yes, that's the true story, that's what happened. Watch what God will do with the children. If you've got children, if you've got grandchildren, be praying over them because God is stirring up seeds of revival and I tell you what, isn't it going to be gloriously shocking to the devil? Amen? Amen. All right, if, who's got a Bible or a Bible app, an electronic device? Give me a wave if you've got a Bible or access to... Okay, I want you to open it, please. You say, where should we open it? I'll just open it anywhere. It's all good. It's all good. Now, let's open it to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, this is the passage the Lord gave me actually a number of weeks ago to share with you. So I have known this is what I was going to talk to you about this morning since I knew that I was going to be talking to you this morning. And by the way, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now just full disclosure, it would be easier if this was in the book of Ezekiel or Jeremiah. Because Uzziah and Isaiah, I may get those tangled up, just letting you know. In the year King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Okay. That's a pretty crazy and outrageous passage. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about the usual sterile way that we tend to read our Bible. We tend to read it and we go, oh yes, yes, and then the seraphim flew and yes, oh yeah, oh yes, yes, yes. Put that aside for a moment and let's actually have a look at what's going on here. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, King Uzziah had been the king 
of Judah for 52 years, all of Isaiah's life. I don't know, I don't know where you stand on things to do with the monarchy, but I really like Queen Elizabeth. I like her, I think she's cool. I think she's, uh, you know, I, like, I'm not, I'm not giving a commentary on whether New Zealand should be a monarchy or a republic, but I think the Queen is cool. And she has been the Queen my whole life. I can't imagine her not being the Queen. It would be very unfamiliar for the Queen not to be the Queen. And it would have been exactly like that for, for Isaiah because King Uzziah had been the king his whole life. He'd never known another king. But not only that, Isaiah the prophet came from a noble, wealthy, well-connected family that would have actually known the king. So not only was Isaiah familiar with King Uzziah being the king, he would have actually known him as a man. In the year King Uzziah died. So the familiar king. In the year King Uzziah died. Now one of the things we need to know about King Uzziah is he's referred to, his nickname is the King of Pride. Because, see, there came a moment when he got very confident and full of himself, and he stepped out of his kingly role into the priest's role, and he offered incense in the temple, which was not his job. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 26. But when Uzziah was strong and his heart was lifted up, to his destruction he just transgressed against the Lord, by offering burnt incense in the altar of the temple. So, King Uzziah represents the familiar to Isaiah, but he also represents pride. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In the year that familiarity died, in the year that pride died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Think about this for a moment. In the year that familiarity and pride died, think about how much that is familiar to us that's been shaken in the last couple of years. Think about how much that has been uh, normal to us our whole lives, how much that has been shaken in the last couple of years. In the year that pride and familiarity died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. With Uzziah out of the way, Isaiah saw a king far higher. High and lifted up. Now I'm not here to get political with you, but you know what? The future of this land does not depend on who's in the ninth floor of the beehive. It doesn't matter it doesn't affect it who's in the Oval Office of or at t number 10 Downing Street because guess what? There is a king far higher. You don't seem all that enthused about that. There is a king far higher than the Oval Office, far higher than the ninth floor of the Beehive, far higher than number 10 Downing Street, far higher than the Kremlin. There is a king high and lifted up. And in the moment when pride and familiarity died, Isaiah saw Yahweh. He saw the Father of heavenly lights. He saw the glorious, everlasting, burning-eyed Son of God. 
And it says this, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think of the train of the robe, but my mind goes back, I've got a little bit of a monarchy theme going today, goes back to when Charles and Diana got married. And I remember Diana walking down the the aisle and she had this, like about five miles of material behind her. So she's walking along and like she arrives and the dress would arrive 10 minutes later. And that's like the train of the robe. So when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, it says the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of the robe signifies three things. Number one, the presence of the king. Because wherever he is, that's where the train of his robe is. Secondly, it represents his authority. It represents his kingliness. It represents the nature of his authority, his rule, his sovereignty. But do you want to hear my favorite one? In those days, I, this, this is hilarious to me. I love this. In those days, when one king was conquered by another, the custom was the conquering king would strip the robe off the vanquished king and his robe would be sewed into the train of the victorious king. So the more kings that he had conquered, the bigger his robe. King Jesus wears a robe that's filled with the robes worn by his vanquished enemies. Even death itself has been stripped of its robe and it's been sewn into the train of King Jesus. So I saw the king high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. How are we doing with that one? Well, I just like it when you talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Easy, calm, predictable, safe, inoffensive, and powerless. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's not written in the Bible. That's a nursery rhyme, and it's written about baby Jesus. Guess what? He grew up. King Jesus seated on a throne. When Isaiah looked up, he didn't see a baby in a stroller. He saw the king high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We go, well, that's great. We want the train of the robe of Jesus to fill the church. Amen. But guess what? This is not the church. This is the church. This is the gathering of the church. This is the don't give up gathering together. This is important. This is important. But church is not a place that you go to. Church is something you become. The Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. So before this room is filled with the train of his robe, guess what has to happen? This room has to start getting filled with the train of his robe. Where we don't just sit there and go, well, Dre, I hope you've got a good message today, brother. It's the only time I'm going to pay any attention to the Bible this whole week, so I bet you, you hope you got a good message. That's what we pay you for. I know you're not doing that, but all, all over the world, this is what fragile, spectating saints do. They come along to church, and they sit there and they go, feed me. Hello? Not you, of course. 
You've been in the Word. You've been praying. You've been sharing your faith. You're saying, God, I want to be ready to do the works you made me to do because I don't just want to be here as a selfish consumer. I want to participate. The train of his robe. What's it look like when the train of his robe fills the temple? Well, guess what? The train of the robe filled the temple. What does that mean? Well, here is this bottle of water that Kath has given me. And my bottle of water is full. There's not, well, there's a little tiny bit at the top, but the, the bottle is full. It's full of water. If I pour anything more in there, it's just going to overflow. The temple is full of the presence and the authority and the rampaging, all-vanquishing victory of Jesus. You know what it means? It means there's no room. It's no, there's no room for the activity of the devil. There's no room for the lies, for the fears, for the insecurity, because the train of his robe has begun to fill the temple. And when we gather like this, the train of the robe fills the temple. We have a saying in our church, Jesus plus nothing. The word of God minus nothing. We want to be so filled with who he is that we don't need to add anything. Because surely who he is and what he does is enough to satisfy the heart of every man, woman, and child. He is the answer to the longing of our hearts. The train of his robe filled the temple. I love what Bill Johnson said about this. He said, it's a tragedy if people come to church looking for God and find only us. (laughs) Nothing wrong with enthusiasm. Nothing wrong with a little bit of even human hype. Oh, but the train of his robe has to fill the temple. And please don't ever make the mistake. You're not doing it, but people in other churches are doing it where they sit there and they put this crushing expectation on a small handful of people in the front row. The train of the robe fills the temple. And then the train of the robe can fill the temple. And then and only then can we be who Jesus has designed and made us to be, to have the impact on a fractured, hurting, lost, broken, and fear-filled New Zealand population. All right, back to this. You doing okay so far? Then look at this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Okay. Let's pause for a moment. Take a deep breath. Think about what just happened there. Put aside cartoon pictures of angels and little cherubs flying around, you know, with arrows and, you know, What is a seraphim? It is a heavenly creature with six wings. And here it is flying towards Isaiah with a coal that it's taken with tongs from the blazing furnace of the altar before God. So just think about this for a moment. This seraphim, it says, when the seraphim cry out, holy, 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 the building is shaken. So this is a building-shaking, heavenly, six-winged creature flying towards you with a hot coal taken from the altar. Can we put aside the sterile reading and look at this and go, holy smokes, 
quite literally. Think about that. Here comes this creature. What is Isaiah's response? Cool, bring it on. So here we go. The temple is full of the presence, authority, and victory of God. The man, seeing the vision, repents and says, Woe to me, I am undone. And now is made clean with fire taken from the altar. Now, once Isaiah has been through this experience, he hears a question. I love this question. You know, the funny thing is, the other day I was vacuuming and I was thinking how much I love this question. Isn't that weird? You know, when you're doing a job like that, your mind roams. Often mind roams to fishing. But this day I was thinking about this question. Here is the question. Then I heard the voice of one. Then I heard the voice of God saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I have a question about the question. Why does God wants someone to go for him. Why does he not just go himself? Okay, let's just back up a little bit. Isaiah has just been totally overwhelmed and undone by seeing the Lord high and lifted up. He's woe to me. His reaction is a little bit like Daniel or John in the book of Revelation, or Ezekiel, all of them when they saw the Lord, none of them were like, hey, hey. They were all like, ah! Have you noticed through the Bible, whenever the angel of the Lord turns up, the first thing the angel of the Lord has to say is either, don't be afraid. Why? Because they're afraid. Or stand up. Why? Because they fell down. Bobby Connor put it this way. We've become far too familiar with the God we hardly know. Again, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people in some other place. They're in danger of making a God in their own image who is basically just a teddy bear designed to assuage their selfishness. But here we have a God. So Isaiah is undone by seeing the Lord high and lifted up. Now think about this for a moment. Why does God not go himself? I'll tell you why. We have to understand what God is looking for. In Matthew 22, it says, a certain king was arranging a wedding for his son. Do you know at the end of this, you and I, we're getting married. God's not just looking for servants, he's looking for a bride. And I know this gets weird because, you know, like I'm I'm male and I know the whole bride thing is a little bit weird. And I know the ladies are like, well, you mean, just get over it. You know, it's no big deal. Come on, man, get it together. It's all right, ladies, the Bible says you're sons of God. So we just got to get over the weirdness of some of this stuff. At the end of this, we're getting married. Now, over the years, I've done a few weddings. Weddings are fun. You stand at the front, and as, as the officiant at a wedding, you're like the ultimate third wheel. 
there's a young man and there's a young lady and, and they are like right here saying these incredibly intimate, intense things to each other and you're just like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, eh? You just feel like this old, it's, it's a privilege, but it's weird. I did one wedding and they had too many people and we were outside and there was a fish pond behind me. And so I'm standing here right against the fish pond and the bride and groom are like here. And I, I, when I said, you may kiss the bride, I was just trying to lean right back because I felt very involved in what was happening. So the young man gets dressed up and he stands at the front waiting for his bride. And when the bride comes down the aisle, she's walked down the aisle by her father or by a member of her family to give her away. This young man at the front, he is not satisfied if she comes down the aisle like this, being pushed down the aisle, forced into marriage. Do you know what? God is looking for a bride. He's looking for love, therefore, and love requires free will. And if God were to go himself, he overwhelms free will. How many of you know that every man, woman, and child in New Zealand would fall down if he suddenly split open the heavens over New Zealand and peered in? There would be mass face-down repentance, but it wouldn't achieve the goal. He wants love. Don't you love that song? It talks about um, uh, one day every knee shall bow, but we choose now to do it. He's looking for love. So he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Because if I go myself, it doesn't achieve the purpose. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here is Isaiah's response. Here am I, send me. Now, would you agree that at this moment, fresh from this undoing, overwhelming, mind-blowing, heavenly experience, would you agree that Isaiah probably didn't feel like he had much to offer? Would you agree that he probably was like, what on earth is it that I could ever give or contribute to this king high and lifted up? He probably didn't think he had much to offer. But look at the response that comes flowing out of his heart, overflowing from his heart. He just freely offers himself and he says, here am I, send me. If you're looking for someone to go, I ain't got much to give but I'll do it because I love you. You know what I think? I think send me is not about going necessarily to faraway places. It might be for some. For some, send me. You know, we've got a lady in our church. She's just about to go off and do three months of medical mission work in Fiji. For some, send me is mission to the nations. For some, send me is what I'm doing now. The elders of my church, they laid hands on me on Thursday and they sent me to you and they are praying for me and for you today. It's a little furnace of Holy Spirit-filled praying nutters in Tauranga that are praying for you this morning. Glory to God. But here am I, send me, is also about when we walk out these doors. Send me is about my workmate. Send me is about my neighbor. Send me is about the lady that lives over the fence on the other side of my house that's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and was supposed to have died in February, but we've been praying for her and she's still out gardening in June. 
Send me is this overwhelming willingness that says, Lord, if you are looking for something, I will go. Now, immediately you might be thinking, but okay, that's all very well for you or for others, but gee, I don't have much to give. How many of you remember Keith Green? Keith Green was a radical worship leader, songwriter, kind of hippie. He died in a plane crash in 1982, but he wrote a song about this passage. And here's what he wrote. Here I am, send me, though there's really not that much I can do. What I have seems so small, but I want to give it all to you. 1 Chron- uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, that he might give strong support to those whose hearts are completely loyal to him. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you very quickly work out that God doesn't need your ability. He's quite able. But what he longs for and what he looks for is your availability. Availability begins when on the 17th of December, for me, 1985, I sat on the Orewa beach looking out to sea and the God that I didn't believe in touched my life in a tangible way and I said, Lord, how can I not believe in you and give you my life? Availability begins with letting down your guard and saying, because I was like, I, I don't want to be religious. And you know what? I still don't want to be. Religion has nothing to do with this. It's about a relationship. It's about, it's about, in the Proverbs it says, can two people walk together unless they agree to do so? It was me walking along in my life and God came and he touched my life and says, want to walk together? And I said, yes, yes I do. And then send me is everyday, ordinary people that love Jesus waking up every day and saying, Lord, I'm yours, send me. Send me to my schoolmates, my classmates. Send me to my workmates. It's not about waiting for that moment when suddenly you get this crazy opportunity to be invited to go and speak in a great crusade in in Ukraine or something. It's about every day you and I saying, King Jesus, high and lifted up, would you come? Would you completely fill this temple? Let the train of your robe fill this temple. Let the train of your robe fill this cornerstone fellowship. I surrender and I say, here am I, send me. And you know the really good thing about that? Is there is room for everybody. How many of you have noticed the Bible doesn't sanitize the mistakes of the characters in the Bible? If I say certain names to you, you will think of mistakes that they made. If I say to you, Rahab, those of you in the know, you'll be like, oh yes, Rahab, yes, she was a street-walking prostitute in Jericho. But God looked at her and said, no, She's the great, 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 great grandmother of my son. Abraham and Sarai, two very old people that didn't have children. 
And God turns up and he says to Abraham, hey, I'm changing your name. You are Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And your wife, Sarai, I'm calling her Sarah, which means princess. He didn't relate to them according to their past. He related to them according to how they responded when he declared a different future. Well, what about this one last one and then I'm done? You're right? Good? You're okay? Well, what about Mary, the mother of Jesus? She's 12, 13, 14 years old. And the archangel Gabriel turns up as she's, I just picture it, she's getting ready for bed. You know, she's got her pajamas on and she's brushing her teeth and then she's just saying her prayers before she goes to bed. And Gabriel turns up and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby and that baby is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, everlasting Son of God. And Mary, she says, I have a question regarding the practicalities of the arrival of said child. She's like, I have a question. And listen, she didn't get in trouble for the question. The, the angel answered the question, said, okay, here, here's the logistics of how this is going to happen. God's not offended by your questions. But then look at Mary's response. <sighs> May it be to me as you have said. Here am I, send me. All right. Worship team, would you please return from wherever you have mysteriously disappeared to? May I ask you all to stand for a moment? Why don't you smile reassuringly at someone beside you? Husband, if you're standing next to the wife you're married to, give her a, give her a kiss or a hug or something, you know? Let's just see what the Lord will do in these next few moments. What I want you to do for a moment is I, want you, I just want you to close your eyes, not so we can do anything weird while you're not looking. But just so you turn your eyes away, your attention away from your physical surroundings and you consider the spiritual realities of God's kingdom, of the tangible, available presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. James 4.8 simply says this, without qualification, draw near to me, God says, and I will draw near to you. So regardless of what you consider your spiritual state to be today, I encourage you right now, just, just by faith to tell the Lord, right now I'm drawing near to you. If you're here today, or even if you're watching this and you're not a believer, what have you got to lose? If you say, Lord, if you're real, draw near to me. If he's not real, nothing's going to happen. But friend, what if he is? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In the name of Jesus right now, let the train of your robe fill this temple. In the name of Jesus right now, let the train of your robe fill this temple. Banishing sickness, vanquishing fear, evicting depression and hopelessness. Lord, let your presence, your authority, 
and your absolute overwhelming victory fill the temple now in Jesus' name. Fear of the future banished in the name of Jesus. Shame about the past banished in the name of Jesus. Jesus has won the victory over all of those. Fear of death, all phobias banished in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm praying as I felt that you led me to pray. I'm praying, let the train of your robe fill this Cornerstone Fellowship in Jesus' name. And Lord, would you cause the train of your robe to begin to fill the individual temple of living stones standing in this room right now. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I pray particularly, let the train of your robe fill uh, the lives and hearts of of the children, the ones, the, the little ones in the room and the rest of them out there. Lord, let the train of your robe fill the temple of the children in Jesus' name. eyes on the Lord for a couple of moments. For some of you right now, there is a heavy weight of fear and the Lord is lifting it as the train of His robe fills the temple. Fear of the future. There's someone here, there is some sort of fear around uh, a, a potential medical diagnosis. You haven't had this diagnosis yet, but you have great fear about a potential medical diagnosis. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let the train of your robe fill the temple and drive out all fear. 1 John 4.18, perfect love drives out all fear. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see you, the great and glorious King, high and lifted up, overwhelming in beauty everlasting, immeasurable in love. Come on church, just be, just be for a couple more minutes, just be hungry. Come on, be hungry. He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst. They shall be filled. I want more of you, God. Open my eyes to see more of you, God. Open the eyes of of this fellowship that they might even see more of you God and I want you to consider just for a moment the question that was presented to Isaiah whom shall I send and who will go for us us being Father, Son and Holy Spirit whom shall I send and who will go for us without reference to any other human being right now just consider what is your response what is your overflowing heart response to that question from this King high and lifted up. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It doesn't matter today whether you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years or whether you're here today because someone 
kind of tricked you into coming by offering to buy you lunch afterwards. It doesn't matter. The question is posed to every human being, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? to any other human being, can I ask you to consider the response of Isaiah when he said, here am I, send me. If your response is something like the response of the prophet Isaiah all those centuries ago, if your response is similar to that, then without waiting to see what another human being does, can you immediately step out of your seat and come stand at the frontier? there's really not that much I can do what I have seems so small but I want to give it all to you Lord that's what we're here for today to say Lord whether you send me to my neighbour or whether you send me to the other end of the land or whether you send me to the nations I'm saying to you today great and glorious King because I love you and I am overwhelmed and undone by who you are. My response today is to say, Lord Jesus, here I am, send me. Send me to my job tomorrow as a sent one. Send me to my neighbours, to my family. I'm all yours, God, and I ask that you would lead me and open doors for me to share with the people around me about you, that men, women, and children all around my life might come to know that you are Lord and Savior because the train of your robe is filling the temple of my life. And because I'm responding and saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Father, I pray for every dear one standing on this altar that, Lord, fresh fire would come on their surrender today. That fresh dunamis power would fill their lives in the name of Jesus. I'm asking God as we stand here today, not before human beings, but before you alone. And we say, here am I, send me, that you would cause something to transact in the spirit realm, that tomorrow would be different from yesterday as a result of what you do today. I thank you, Lord. It's never been your desire that what you would do in the church would be contained by the four walls of the church. Okay, just receive this now. Holy Spirit, come on each of these people in Jesus' name. Come on each of them. Let your anointing begin to come on them in the name of Jesus. Let the fire that burns on the altar begin to ignite our hearts and our lives and our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that we are living in the glorious days in the shadow of the soon coming King who will return to the earth as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And between now and then, Lord, we are saying to you today, you can have 
every part of me, here am I, send me. Friends, what we're going to do is we're going to worship for a while and me and some of the ministry team, we're going to roam around and we're just going to agree with what the Lord is doing in your life. The power comes from Him. Someone will lay a hand on your head or on your shoulder, but we are asking God, would you put fresh fire on our hearts? Because we're saying unconditionally, here I am, send me.